of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The wrath of God is revealed against men. Um, This last week in a, a book study that we're involved in, um, we're going through a book about revealing the heart of God, and and in it, it brought out an, an important point that um, really really clicked with me, and and the way he mentioned it made it so that I could relate to it, and those of us in the study. And I alluded to it a little bit Wednesday night in the um, men's prayer meeting. But when we think of God, we often think of God as the wrath of God. And in this book it mentioned the wrath of God is something that he needs to be provoked to. You read in the Bible, you read in the Old Testament in particular, that God was provoked to wrath and sent a flood. Meaning, wrath isn't, isn't how do I say, not natural, but wrath isn't what is filling up his cup that it just needs bumped a little and then out it comes. Rather, when God showed his nature to Moses, and in many other cases, in in the book of Exodus, when God passed by Moses, the message that Moses got was that God is merciful and gracious, full of compassion, and ready to forgive. So, God's nature is one that he's filled with mercy, and, and it is ready to spill out, and it spills out all the time. His wrath is something that he needs to be provoked to, and then his wrath does come. Now, God is merciful, and God has wrath. Whereas, and, and in this study, it, it revealed... As mankind, the Bible tells us, as a church, we're to provoke one another to what? Love and good works. We need prodded to that. We need provoked to that. But what naturally comes out of us? Anger, right? I mean, it, it's just like that. You bump someone, ah, you know. Somebody pulls out in front of us and we say, what a, what a great driver you are and how I hope you have a blessed day today. And No, anger. You see the difference? God is overflowing with mercy and needs to be provoked to anger. We are overflowing with anger and need to be provoked to love and mercy. And that's why the Holy Spirit is here to bring us from one point to be Christ-like. 
And see, it's easy. I got to be careful. Well, maybe the Lord wants me to go. I got to be careful that I don't preach the whole message just on this. But it's easy for us because we're angry at someone. We think God's angry at someone. And God just, just, they are so bad. Just strike them down. And it's evident God is merciful because this is 2020. I mean, he's, he's allowed mankind to live this long. You know what I'm saying? Mankind throughout all our history has provoked him enough. But he is overflowing with mercy. But it doesn't deny the fact of God's anger. And so Paul is led of God in this book of Romans to deal with the gospel. And in verse 16, right before verse 17, which is right before verse 18, that's very profound. You might want to write that down, okay? But the reality is... Verse 16 and 17 are the theme of the book of Romans. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And and he's saying it's about the gospel. But the gospel doesn't mean anything if we don't realize the sinners that we are. If, if we don't realize the judgment that is on us, the gospel isn't good news. So Paul is saying the gospel, and he's going to build his case throughout the book of Romans about the gospel, but he begins by jumping right in and saying, in essence, you have the wrath of God upon you. This is why the gospel is good news. Jesus Christ came to remove the wrath of God. And he's going to go in and and build the case that we are sinners because of our sin and so on. But he builds the case here. Why is God angry? The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And, And in the text... Paul is showing why God is justified, not that he has to justify anything to us, but he is showing to us that God is justified to inflict his wrath on sinful human race, the sinful human race, and this is why we need the gospel. So he gets in and he deals with why is God angry? And he gives several reasons. And really, verses 18 through 32, in order to have a proper understanding of the times that we live in and and human nature, we must have an understanding of this passage. But we want to just go through and and list what Paul or look at what Paul lists as the wrath of God, why it is being revealed. And it, and it begins right in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who suppress the truth of God 
in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifested in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So, in this passage, he said, God has revealed himself through creation, and mankind has rejected God's revelation. We have rejected God's revelation to us. And he says, it's clearly evident, if you look at creation, all people everywhere have always had access to evidence for God's existence. For every design, there is a designer. You don't, you don't look at a building and think, wow, I wonder when that thing just happened to show up. You know that someone designed the building, someone did the work and followed the design, and they put the building together. You cannot look at creation with an objective mind without realizing, wow, this, this world has been designed. So there is a designer. Psalm 19 and verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth His handiwork. Psalm 8, the psalmist said, When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of us? Or the son of man that thou visited us? You made us a little lower than the angels and you crowned us with glory and honor. And the psalmist said, Wow, you look at this and you know. But as mankind, we have suppressed the evidence for God from creation. Um, throughout history, mankind has wanted to do away with that thought individually as nations, and as people. And we have rejected God's revelation. In creation, Paul alludes to it here, but eventually God gave the complete revelation of Himself in the Word of God. And as people, we reject, generally speaking, we reject the revelation of God. Some people say, I don't even believe the Bible. Others say, well, I believe this part of the Bible, but not that part of the Bible. Or they take whatever they want from the Bible and they reject the revelation of God. Understand the warfare has always been to keep people from knowing God. So, how does he do that? He gets people to reject the revelation of God. God said in Jeremiah, we've looked at it earlier this year, let him that glories glory in this that he knows God. Our desire is to know God and to make him known. But if you reject the revelation of God, you won't know God. And we'll see in just a minute uh, some of the consequences of that. 
But the warfare has always been to keep God from knowing, to keep people from knowing God. And in doing that, it begins by rejecting the revelation of God. Notice verse 19. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile or vain in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise, they became fools. So, When you reject the revelation of God, you do not glorify God. And even when they knew God and knew that there was a God, they did not glorify God. See, again, the battle takes another step up. Okay, I know God, but I'm not going to glorify Him. I'm going to live for myself or whatever I'm not going to give him the glory. The chief end of man is to glorify God. And the first step in not glorifying God, he says here, they did not glorify God, and this wouldn't have been one we'd put there, but they were unthankful. If there is no God, who do you give thanks to? See, That's why Thanksgiving is such an important holiday to remember that all these things that we have are a gift of God. It's not Turkey Day. It's not a day to watch football. It is a day to honor the fact that there is an eternal God and He has blessed us and we are giving thanks. But it ought to be a way of life for us. And we'll probably talk more about that today. But the first step, they did not glorify God. The first step in not glorifying God was unthankful. Then it says their thoughts became vain or futile or worthless or empty. When you remove God out of it, it all becomes temporal. That's what vain means. It doesn't have any lasting meaning. And their hearts were darkened. God is the light. If you put God out, there is no light. Their hearts became darkened. And it says here, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. You see that everywhere around us today. Bill Hansen, the missionary we support in France, sent me this this week. And let me read part of it. This is written by Bruce Hendry. We can't justify the insanity that we see around us. Now remember, professing ourselves to be wise, we became fools. We see other countries going socialist and collapsing, but it seems like a great plan for us. Somehow it's un-American 
for the census to count only Americans in our census. Professing ourselves to be wise, we became fools. People who say there is no such thing as gender are demanding a female president. See, do you ever think about this? We profess we're wise, but there's no such thing as gender, but we want a female president. I mean, it's blithering nonsense. Universities that advocate for equality discriminate against Asian Americans in favor of African Americans. We can't even chase these rabbits, okay? Some people are held responsible for things before they were born, and other people are not held responsible for what they're doing right now. Criminals are caught and released to hurt more people, but stopping them is bad because it violates their rights. See, when you think about professing ourselves to be wise, we became fools. This isn't, this isn't even a political thing. It's just nonsense. People who have never owned slaves should pay slavery reparations to people who have never been slaves. If a dude wants to be a woman, you are required to pretend with him that he is a woman. It's okay for Joe Biden to blackmail the president of Ukraine, but it's an impeachable offense if Donald Trump inquires about it. And I don't care. It's not about the names that I just read there. The fact is, this is nonsense. People who have never been to college should pay the debts of college students who took out huge loans for their degrees. Now, is that wise? Professing ourselves, I have this brilliant idea that we should forgive all college debts, and everyone that's been to college and in debt says, yeah, I'm all for that. I'm going to vote for that. So who's going to pay for that? All the people that got a job and worked and maybe didn't go to college to pay for Professing ourselves to be wise, they became fools. Irish doctors and German engineers who want to immigrate to the U.S. must go through a rigorous vetting process, but any illiterate gangster who jumps the southern fence is welcome here. We could go on. I'm not, I'm not going to go on and read. This is the result of saying, no, God, and we don't glorify God. So what we think is wise, if you actually step back and look at it, it's foolish. But the worst is yet to come. Verse 23, professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And notice, therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So the next step is we create our own gods. We as human beings were made to worship. 
we were made to worship God. The fall, we were created, again back to our narrative, creation, we were made to worship God. The fall of man disrupted that. Jesus Christ came, redemption, to allow and enable us to worship God and someday restoration. But we were made to worship God. But when we put God out of our own individual lives, it's not that we don't become worshipers. We worship something else. And, and any time you worship something else, it's an idol. We all create idols to take the place of God. Anything we want more than God is an idol. Anything we rely on more than God is an idol. Anything we look to for greater fulfillment more than God is an idol. Anything put in the place of God is an idol. And idolatry is the hidden sin that is driving all other sins. Every other sin comes back to idolatry. And he says they worshipped and served animals. They worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator. And and lest you think it's carving out a totem pole and bowing down to it, as we said, anything that replaces God. We may live for financial success, that every decision revolves around that. We may, we may live for human relationships, that everything revolves around that. We may live for our physical appearance. That's a losing battle, let me tell you that, okay? Because age is going to take its toll. I mean, have you looked at some of these politicians all Botoxed up? I won't mention any names, of course, but is that what you really want to look like? But people live for physical appearance. Every decision, that becomes their idol. People live for ease. What will make it easier for me? They live for accomplishments. They live for uh, getting a name for themselves. And our outlook on life and our decisions will be controlled by whatever controls our heart. And whatever controls our heart besides God is an idol. And whatever idol there is will eventually destroy our life. So, mankind rejects the revelation of God. He does not glorify God. He then goes and we go and create our own gods and then we are controlled by our own passions. Verse 24, God gave them up in the lust or the passions of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Notice verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. And what does he say? Even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their heir which was due them. <clears throat> so, God says, okay, you want to go that route, go for it. And what does mankind end up doing? 
being controlled by the passions. Not just sexual passions, although that is very much the case. Sexual sin leads to sexual perversion, and I'm not going to take the time to go into that. And eventually then, we and again, we're not going to go look at all the list of these listed here, but then it, it reveals the sins of the heart, this long list of things that he mentions at the end of this chapter, the sins of the heart. What, what he says is, if you don't want to be controlled by me, he says, you will be controlled by your passions. We live in a very addicted society. And we're addicted to many, many things. I mean, the, you think of addiction and you think of drugs and alcohol and pornography. But there, there's a, no limit to the things that we can be addicted to. And, and God says, you don't want me? You will be controlled by your passions. And this is a result that God gives us up to the consequences of our idols. In verse 24, in verse 26, and in verse 28, it says that God gave them up or gave them over to. It doesn't mean He gave up on them. He, it means that He said, this is what you want as your God? Okay, this will be your God. And the result of choosing anything besides Almighty God to be our God ends up in disaster. He uses the term here, a debased mind or a a reprobate mind. The original word that is used here means counterfeit, like counterfeit money. A debased Worldview is a counterfeit God making false promises that give misleading answers to life. So let me, let me illustrate. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in His plan or His purpose. So I develop some other belief system. It may, it may not even be religious, but it's a belief system that I have. And, and why do I believe this? Because I think it's gonna bring me fulfillment. I think it's going to make me happy. I think it's going to satisfy my wants. But it's counterfeit. It, it doesn't do that. And it may take me a whole lifetime to realize it doesn't, or to admit it, and some people never do. But the reality is, it gives misleading answers to life. And I'm looking through life, at life, through this worldview that I have, that life doesn't make sense. The only way life makes sense is when you look at it through God. And so he says, you will end up with a debased mind that you will believe lies And it won't provide any answer to life's problems. And it will lead to dishonorable behavior. The word, the the 
whole terminology that he uses here is it's contrary to nature. It was a standard phrase in the Greco-Roman culture which was referring to homosexual behavior. Nature is not like we think of nature, trees growing and, and things like that. Nature was the behavior that fits what mankind was originally created for. It takes us back. This is God's nature in creation. He made man this way. He made woman this way. He made... This was His design. All these behaviors that He lists are contrary to what God intended to be truly human. And, and don't just limit it to the homosexual behavior, the envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-minded, whispers, backbiters, all those things. It's like God says, man, I didn't make you for this. It's against what I created you for. It's a dishonorable behavior. It, it, it's going to be bad for you. And all these behaviors are contrary to what it means to be truly human. So the principle that he lays down here is those who dishonor God inevitably dishonor themselves and others. There's no other way of looking at it. When you dishonor God, ultimately it will dishonor yourself and it will dishonor others. And, and we're seeing it wrought out in our society today. Um, they that sow to the flesh, Galatians 6, 6 and 7, shall of the flesh reap corruption. It doesn't matter what experts you have, what, um, what you can line up, as evidence that this is good, there is a way that seems right unto a man, Proverbs fourteen twelve. but the end thereof are the ways of death. And any time you violate God's design, it will end in destruction. And idols have consequences. And the worst judgment that God can give us is to just let us have our own way. Because our own way always leads to destruction. It seems right. We can convince ourselves there, there, there are churches today in Sheraton that are preaching lies of Satan and people are believing it and it's going to end up in death and destruction. And, and anything we preach that isn't the Word of God ends up in death and destruction. Now, we're back to the theme of Romans. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. The only solution to rejecting the revelation of God, not glorifying God, creating our own idols, following our own passions, and bearing the consequences of our idols is by faith to repent and turn to God from idols. 
We read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10, Paul writing to the believers at Thessalonica, he said, when, when the word was preached to you, you turned to God from idols. And we read that and think, oh, they must have been going to the goddess of Diana and bowing down to them. They may have been, but the same is true in our life. We must turn to God from what we have been looking to for satisfaction, to fulfillment in our own lives. We must turn to God from idols. Anything other than God is an idol. And by faith, this is, this is the gospel. By faith, we must acknowledge that I am, I am a sinner. The wrath of God is already upon me. I am an, an idolater and, and I need forgiveness. And this is what the book of Romans is going to go in and show us. We're these sinners, but we are justified by faith. We are made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ. And, and the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, only comes by faith, by believing God. It's not by works, and, and this will be brought out in Romans it's by believing God. The need of the gospel, the evidence for the proof of the need of the gospel is our human heart, is our sin. And you will choose, and all mankind will choose what they will believe, what their faith will be. And our choice has eternal consequences, and it has earthly consequences. We choose to violate God's principles. We'll bear the consequences of it in this life. And we'll bear the consequences of it. You reject Jesus Christ, you'll bear the consequences of that for all eternity. And, and so it comes down. Every one of us will have to decide what our faith is in. And, and he'll bring out throughout this book, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, then this is what, you will, this is what will be in your life. But he's saying the wrath of God is a very real thing, and God is very long-suffering, but the wrath of God is very justified because we have rejected his revelation. We have made and worshipped other things other than God. And God deserves all of our worship. But every one of us will have to decide. And it's something that you decide over and over about 150 years ago, there was a great revival in Wales, England. As a result of that, many missionaries went from England to northeast India to spread the gospel. And the region that they went to was comprised of hundreds of tribes. The tribal communities were very primitive and aggressive. The tribesmen were known as headhunters. Because of a social custom that required male members of the community to collect as many heads as possible 
And this was a sign that they had the strength and the ability to protect their wife. Uh, youth was deemed marriageable age when he would collect as many heads as possible and hang them on the walls of his house. Some of you ladies don't like your your husband hanging deer heads. Just be glad they're not hanging human heads. But this is this is the people that they went to, okay? In this hostile and aggressive community came a group of Welsh, Welsh missionaries spreading the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Naturally, they were not welcomed. One Welsh missionary finally succeeded in seeing God work in converting a man, his wife, and two children. The man's faith proved contagious. And many villagers started accepting Jesus Christ. Angry, the village chief summoned all the villagers together. He then called this man and his family who had first converted, and he called on them to renounce their faith in public or face execution. Moved by the Spirit, the man... Responded by singing, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. Enraged at the refusal of the man, the chief orders ordered his archers to arrow down the two children, which they did. And then he asked the man, Will you deny your faith? You've lost both your children. You will lose your wife too. But the man replied again by singing, Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. The chief was besides himself in fury and ordered his wife to be arrowed down. In a moment, she joined her two sons in death. And now he asked for the last time, I'll give you one more opportunity to deny your faith and live. In the face of death, the man sung, The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back, no turning back. He was shot dead like the rest of his family. But with their deaths, A miracle took place. The chief who had ordered the killing was moved by the faith of that man. He wondered, why should this man, his wife, and his two children die for a man who lived far away on another continent some 2,000 years ago? There must be some supernatural power behind the family And I, too, want that supernatural power. And in a spontaneous confession of his faith, he declared, I, too, belong to Jesus Christ. When the crowd heard this from his mouth, the mouth of their chief, 
the whole village accepted Christ as the Lord and Savior of their lives. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It takes us from worshiping idols, vain, futile, debased, dishonoring is all that it leads to, and it transforms us into worshiping God. And every individual that has ever lived must choose what they're going to believe. What we put our faith in, what we believe, is it Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I thank you that you are long-suffering to us who are not willing that any should perish. And I pray that you would reveal to us the idols that are in our hearts. And Lord, that we would turn from idols to serve the living and true God. Lord, may your Spirit minister your truth to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.